0: Well, good, morning. good morning, and welcome to Zion Lutheran Church on the second Sunday in Lent. A few things to share with you before we begin our worship. First, just a reminder that our midweek services will continue this Wednesday at 7, at 6 o'clock. We will join together for a soup supper, which all of you are invited to as well. A reminder that orders for Easter lilies are due by April 1st. Uh, Checks can be made out to the church for those. You'll notice also this week there is an insert in your bulletin for the Lutheran disaster response uh, pertaining to the refugee crisis out of Ukraine and in Eastern Europe. Uh, So there are instructions on there about how you could give to that cause. Uh, The Lutheran disaster response, from my understanding, is currently working with local Lutheran churches in Eastern Europe as they seek to provide humanitarian care and shelter and pastoral care for those who are leaving Ukraine um, which is well up to a million people now so a great need there um, and if you feel like you can give then by all means it will all go to a good cause uh, are there other announcements for the congregation this week, or other prayer requests that we should know. Prayers for Dick Corral, my brother in surgery tomorrow. Okay. If there are no other requests, I'll invite you to take a few moments to prepare your heart for worship as we listen to the prelude. Now let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name, amen. In the mercy of almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. us pray god of the covenant in the mystery of the cross you promise everlasting life to the world gather all peoples into your arms and shelter us with your mercy that we may rejoice in the life we share in your son jesus christ our savior and lord who lives and reigns with you in the holy spirit one god now and forever amen
1: a reading from genesis after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Aram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born to my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your, own, no one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and a deep and terrifying darkness descended on him. When the sun had got down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land from the river Egypt, To the great river, the river Euphrates. The word of the Lord. We shall intone Psalm 27. reading from Philippians. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their evil is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. My beloved, the word of the Lord.
0: The gospel according to saint luke to you, at that very hour some pharisees came and said to jesus get away from here for herod for herod wants to kill you he said to them go and tell that fox for me listen i am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow and on the third day i finish my work yet today tomorrow and the next day i must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The gospel of the Lord. I invite, you, o Christ. Christ. I invite you to be seated, children. I invite you to come forward. So I've been thinking a lot lately, and kind of about the Psalms, especially and what they're for. So the Psalms, if you don't know, it's a book almost right in the middle of the Bible, and it's basically a book of prayers, right? Some of them are very poetic. Some of them are really songs some of them are just straight written prayers Uh, but the book of psalms is really a book of prayers but one of the things that's really interested me about them recently is how honest they can be so i've noticed sometimes when i pray and maybe this is true for all of us sometimes i pray like i want to pray to impress god right i want to pray in such a way that i think god wants me to pray so I can be in my prayers like very formal, and I can try to pray really good prayers and use really good language, right? Because I think maybe that's what God wants me to do. But the Psalms show us something different, right? The Psalms show us that sometimes the prayers are not just all very neat and nice and good kind of prayers. Instead, they're very honest prayers. So in our psalm today psalm 27 we get this prayer of someone who's talking about their enemies are closing against them trying to kill them right the prayer is about people who are doing evil in the world the prayer the person praying this is praying about how their mother and their father have abandoned them have forsaken them right and this person is being so honest with god saying here are my problems Here's where I am. But then they turn around and say, Help me, Lord, to trust in you. Have all these problems. All these things are going against me. Help me to rely on you. Well, that's really what prayer is meant to be. Prayer is not telling God something he doesn't know. God knows everything. He knows everything that's going on in your life. So sometimes in prayer we might be tempted To try to hide that from God and to pretend that things are always good, always perfect with us when they're not. And God knows that. Instead, in prayer, God wants us to open our hearts to him so that we learn to trust him. That's really what God wants for us out of prayer, is to learn to trust in him. He's going to answer our prayers. He's going to hear them. But he wants us to pray to learn to trust that he is good. So let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray pray. with our hearts open to you you. and and trusting in your goodness. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, so the middle of the Gospel of Luke, if you were to read Luke straight through as a book... The middle of Luke reads something like a travelogue of a professional traveler at times. We get pictures of Jesus throughout Luke in some small, obscure town and different regions of Galilee that are really of no significance to the world. And so we get different pictures of Jesus in these different towns. Some days he's eating with Pharisees. Some days he's just teaching all day. Some days he's interacting with social outcasts, some days he's just walking, and some days he's casting out demons, and he's moving from one town to another, one landscape to another. Well, following his transfiguration in chapter 9 of Luke, when this travelog really begins and we see Jesus going from one town to another, we're told that Jesus is setting his face to Jerusalem. To set your face towards something is to be resolute, not backing down from challenges. So the biblical phrase to set your face to somewhere is similar to how we might say, face your fears. And so if we were to read the gospel of Luke in its entirety, something would become clear to us. Jesus in these chapters is not traveling aimlessly. Rather, he had a very clear sense of direction and he had a very clear purpose though he teaches and heals along the way, Jesus' focus was really on one thing, and that's getting to Jerusalem. And whatever challenges lie between Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration and Jerusalem were secondary, because the whole gospel is oriented toward one thing, Jesus' determination to get to Jerusalem. This is where our gospel reading this morning fits in. It's in the middle of this big travelogue Of the Gospel of Luke and so while Jesus is in Galilee and that's the small region north of Jerusalem some Pharisees come to him and they inform him that Herod is seeking to kill him and that Jesus needs to flee Jesus needs to get out of Dodge well our first impression when reading this story should be to question the motives of the Pharisees these are the same people who are always criticizing Jesus They're always trying to snare Jesus in some sort of gotcha trap. Why now, all of a sudden, are these Pharisees looking out for Jesus' welfare? That seems a little suspicious. Well, I think the Pharisees are not so much trying to help Jesus and to spare his life. I think they're trying to scare Jesus from doing his work. They want Jesus to flee, not out of concern for Jesus' welfare, but because they've been the targets of his preaching. If the Pharisees can get Jesus to go in hiding, then the Pharisees can go back to being the religious big dogs in town. Jesus will no longer be around to call out their hypocrisy and sin. They will again have the credibility with the people and they will have the glory they believe is due, their knowledge and piety. And so what the Pharisees miss though is that Jesus is not going to flee. Jesus is not going to hide because he has set his face To Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of the temple, the city which David established as the heart of Israel, that's Jesus' destination. This is where the coming Messiah was to come and establish the glory of David's throne. However, Jesus is not going to Jerusalem to sit on a throne in a palace and be crowned with a golden crown. Rather, he has set his face to Jerusalem to die. He was going to this city to be crowned with a crown of thorns the heart of all that jesus was doing in the gospels the miracles the parables the healing it was all to point to one central truth the son of god has come to die on a cross for the salvation of the world the plan of the pharisees to scare jesus does not work because they don't understand what jesus has come to do they think their motives motives for power and glory motives to preserve their status and their lives They think those things are what Jesus is about. But Jesus, as the Son of God, has not taken on flesh to be lauded by people. Jesus has come to die. He has come to empty himself of glory on the cross and be glorified through his death. Jesus was determined to bring salvation to the world. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees and tells them that not only is he going to flee, He's going to complete his work by going to Jerusalem. And it's there, he's going to be made visible to everyone. He's not going in hiding. He's going to make himself known to everyone. In our reading from Philippians, St. Paul has a phrase to describe people like these Pharisees. He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross work for destruction, says Paul. They glory in their shame They're consumed with the affairs of the world. They're more interested in their own achievements, their own pedigrees, than in the salvation offered through Christ. St. Paul says that for such people, their God is their belly. The word for belly here in Greek is not the usual word for a human stomach, but it's the Greek word for the stomach of an animal. Paul is saying that the enemies of the cross are not interested in suffering like Christ for the sake of others. Instead, they're only interested in satisfying their appetites, their undiscriminating needs. If they want power, Paul says, they'll step over anyone to get it. If they want rich and gourmet food, they'll stuff themselves with it. If they want money, they'll pursue any unethical business to get it. They pursue their lust and appetites with no regard for the goods of others. They live only for the moment. So the Pharisees in our gospel text were pursuing their own appetite for power. They wanted Jesus out of the way so that they were going to say whatever they could to get him to go away. And when this plan doesn't work, they'll go further. And they'll push for the execution of Jesus. They'll bribe his disciples to betray him. And they'll push for the Roman authorities to arrest him. Jesus is a threat to their lust for power. in this Lenten season, we, like Jesus, are called to set our faces to Jerusalem. That is to say that we're not going to be close to God by pursuing our worldly appetites. No, we're only going to see God most clearly as we become confident in God's fatherly embrace to us through the cross of Christ. And so in this Lenten season, it's important that we name before us the enemies of the cross that tell us that goodness is to be found in our own selfish pursuits and pleasures. Our psalm for today opens up, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. In times of war, in times of confronting great evil, this seems like it would be a very useful prayer. We've all seen images recently from Ukraine and from the war and the current refugee crisis happening there. Right? And in the realest sense, we imagine being able to identify enemies in that situation. And so it seems like an extraordinary thing for us in a rather peaceful town and a peaceful congregation to pray something so extraordinary that our enemies are assailing us, that God should spare us from these enemies. Right? Few, few of us fear the kind of danger we've seen recently of those in eastern Ukraine who have real reasons to fear. And so maybe I'm wrong. Some of you can really name enemies, people who seek to devour your flesh, people who would kill you given the opportunity, but I can't. There are certainly people who don't like me, people who disagree with me, but if you ask me to name my enemies, I would be truly at a loss. St. Paul, however, says be imitators of him. He's convinced, it seems, that there are greater enemies than the ones who seek to devour our flesh. Paul tells his readers that we must watch carefully for the enemies of the cross of Christ. Although we may not be able to name enemies who would kill us or who would persecute us, I am certain there are people, there are forces, there are pressures assailing us each day, in and outside of the church that are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There are voices that tell you that lasting happiness comes from a bigger house, from a better job, from accumulating more stuff. Those voices are all enemies of the cross. There are voices that assure you that you are doing well in God's world, so God must be so pleased with you. Or worse, there are voices that tell you that coming to church and being a good person means you'll be blessed with financial security and great health and all manner of worldly happiness. We also, all of us, face the enemies of distraction that are at our gates. And many of us know this enemy well. It tells us that checking our phone just one more time is not such a big deal. It tempts us from keeping a few moments of silence in which we might think about our need for God. And instead, it tells us that we should make our lives look as beautiful and perfect as possible on social media? How do we have time to take up our cross and follow Jesus in this world in which we're always connected, always checking emails, always answering texts, always catching up on some social media feed and so on? Right? And, and worse, the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy of the cross tells you, oh, that you can earn your salvation. Right? The enemy offers a false gospel to you that says, only if you go to church enough give enough to charity, be honest enough in your work, then you'll be saved. That's the enemy that tries to keep you from turning to Christ for your salvation. Our faces cannot be set to Jerusalem while they're only turned inward, living for ourselves. Rather, for our faces to be set to Jerusalem, they must be set to Christ. They must be set to his cross. They must be ready to receive Christ himself. And so Lent is the time to name the enemies of the cross in our lives. It's a time to get real and to say that we're always being tempted to try to find life in something other than Christ. It's a time to cry out like the psalmist, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. And so that we can face these enemies through him. And so turn to Christ in this Lenten season. He has set his face to Jerusalem for you. He has borne the pain of the cross for you. He has given all for you. So turn to him. Turn to him and all the enemies that want to separate you from God will be truly defeated in your life. Amen. on the third day he rose again he ascended into heaven he is seated at the right hand of the father and he will come to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy catholic church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen let us pray for the church the world and for all of those in need Heavenly Father, see how many still walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and face destruction. Make known your mercies in Christ, that they may repent and become citizens of your kingdom and protect your people from their evil intentions and grant that we would follow the example of the apostles who suffered wrong to make Jesus known in this world. Lord in your mercy, remember the households of this congregation, O Lord. Provide help and companionship to those who live alone, and foster love between husbands and wives, parents and children and between all neighbors, so that our homes would not be places to worship our bellies, glory and shame or set our minds on earthly things, but that they might be a refuge and a foretaste of our heavenly home with you. Lord, in your mercy. Remember our nation and those who have placed in authority. Especially our President Joseph and our Governor Richard Michael. Give them wisdom and integrity and grant neither they nor the citizens of our land would hinder your church or despise your cause. Lord, in your mercy. In our Remember those in our world who suffer from the consequences of war and fear of their enemies, especially those in Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Syria. Lord, in your mercy. Remember the sick and afflicted, oh Lord, especially Bob, Steve, Steve, Mike, Chuck, Nancy, Kelly, Marcy, Greg, Alan, Jean, Ray, Marilyn, Jean, Mike, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, Jane, Steve, and Dick. Deliver them for the sake of Christ, who cast out demons and performed cures on his way to finish our salvation at the cross. Strengthen their faith to hold fast to him, who rose again to raise them also. Lord, in your mercy. Holy God, we deserve nothing but judgment for our sins. Open our eyes so that we do not take your wrath lightly, but strive by your grace to mend our ways and deeds, trusting in the good news of Christ for us. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, your Son suffered the reproach of mankind, even as he bore all of our sins to the cross. Strengthen us gladly to bear reproach in your name and boldly to declare your salvation through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always. And also- Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed hallowed be be thy name Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Amen. Peace. Serve the Lord.